What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. I collect sports cards, and I like to have conversations with other collectors about sports cards. We are keeping the Parallels series rolling. Hopefully, you've been enjoying these. I know I have been enjoying having these conversations. It's so good to shrink the hobby see sometimes and focus on the cards that matter. And I know parallels matter a lot to you out there, the sports card collector. And today we are going in the Wayback Machine. I got my man Joey the E-Trader on and we are talking about the first gold parallel known to mankind. And yes, that's the 1992 Topps Gold feeling the nostalgia, feeling those memories. I can visualize these cards in my mind by just taking a step back and reflecting on my adolescence and the first moments I ever had collecting sports cards. Dig into that with Joey. This one was a ton of fun. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. But most importantly, tell a damn friend you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. I've been challenged, I think, where people are asking how far back could we go? And I think we might be going all the way back here in this parallel series. Um, talking 92 tops gold with Joey, the E-Trader. Joey, before we get into it, I did a little bit of a... I don't know when I, the, the year 92 just like stands out to me as just like such a nostalgic year. And I think that's driven from like the dream team, but I was like doing some research on what happened in 92 in sports. And you've got Jordan over the Blazers winning a second. You've got Mario Lemieux and uh, the Penguins winning the Stanley cup, Joe Carter got Redskins yep. over the bills. And I don't know, that's just like, I, I went back and I read through all those and that was like, that's so childhood. There's so much of my childhood is like that. And so I'm excited to chat with you about this. Maybe start there. Like when you think about 1992 in your life, like what comes to mind for you? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, dude. I really appreciate it once again. But to answer your question, bro, you know what comes to my mind? Shaq. Mm. You have to understand the hobby in 1992 was literally the equivalent of like, you know, like 2020 prison, right? In, in a sense to where Shaquille O'Neal was the guy. And he had more cards, more rookies, more press than anything I've ever remembered. I'm not saying there was anything before that, but, but anything that I ever remembered as a kid. I mean, everything. And then so many other guys behind him rode that wave, you know? Um, and you just, you were looking for 1992. So 1992 tops series two basketball, right? Because that's where you got all the good rookies and series one is where you got Jordan. Right. So I remember that vividly. Right. And that was, that was, they kind of used that, um, over the, how to fairly sell the other cards is like, they mm. put Shaq and in, in the rookies in one series and then they would put Jordan in the other. And that wasn't just tops like Fleer Ultra did that. Um, they would all they would all do it because, you know, you wanted both for different reasons. Right. I don't even know how I missed the shack of it all. And it was like you think about what we experienced with Zion and it was a different era and, you know, a whole different ball game. But before there was any of that, there was certainly the shack of it all. And I remember being in my LCS 
And it was like, I think they were like this packs of stadium club were like eight bucks a pack because of Shaq. And I think like that was such a, like a high mark at the time. And I just remember standing there and watching people rip like stadium club rip ultra. And it was like, no one gave a shit about anything else, but trying to pull a Shaquille O'Neal card. And I, I don't know, like now we look at like the way prospects go and we kind of poke fun at the way the hobby rolls around, but I don't know, back in a simpler time when you had a guy like Shaq, maybe we just all knew he was going to be transcendent, but uh, so much fun and so much nostalgia around him. And I think he's a good representative of 1992. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's just who I think of because of, you know, just the the state of the market. And yeah, I, dude, we, me and my brother used to go to the, the local shop as well. And we would watch people rip. We were we were a pack or two kind of guys like that. That's what we could afford, right? So, to get four packs between the both of us was incredible. And if we got something out of those packs, we're usually trading it for more packs, right? Like until you know you get some. I don't know. Uh, that's what we did at ten years old. But yeah, there there were. I remember all the spoiled kids would get like all the boxes of whatever, and they would just go through them and pull out whatever they were looking for. But, but, but Shaq was the guy. He, he, he was the guy always. So, he had so many cards. It was ridiculous. And it wasn't even just like tops and Fleer and stadium club and all that. He had like these cards. And that's the thing. Like you'd see cards that you'd never heard of before. And Ken Golden was the one that was making them all like it's called classic, right? Yes. You would suddenly just see these cards of these guys in college uniforms. And you'd be like, okay, well, you know, maybe these cards existed last year, but I never noticed them. Now they're everywhere you know, autograph cards in the packs and stuff like that. And he just, dude, even just cards that were like, now people make these custom cards, which it's clearly a custom card. People, there's no hiding it. Nobody tries to make a card that might not be looking custom where it's, you would go to a card show and you would see these like, like cracked ice looking homemade cards of Shaquille O'Neal. And you'd be like, Oh, what is that? You know, I guess people probably bought them, but in a sense, it kind of, I feel like it kind of ruined his hobby presence because his cards mm. ironically, ironically are not valuable. Right. And, and they're, you know, they're just not, he doesn't really, I mean, other than the big stuff like the PMG and the, and the obvious key cards, his, you could buy any one of his cards anytime you want on eBay. And if not, you wait a couple of weeks, one will pop up, pop up. But other than, if, of course, you know, the, the six or seven, you know, super rare cards that we'll go after. You said a couple of things there that before we, this is kind of setting the stage for the topic, but uh, when you're talking about like these cards, you've never seen any before. Do you remember the machines that you put like a couple quarters in, you push the thing forward and you, you pull it out and it would be like the sleeve, it would come and you like open yeah. up this like white sleeve and it'd be like these unlicensed, like you'd always get like a shack and like some like off brand, whatever. And it would be like shiny. And I don't know where those came from, but I feel like I had a whole binder full of those. Dude, it was like somebody got that and put it on a piece of cardboard. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's what it was. And, and, you know, and and like I said, when you, especially when you go back now as an adult and as a business person, and then you go and look at this shit, like you'll see it laying around across and you'll pick it up and you'll read the back and be like, Hey, this was printed in, you know, somebody's house. Right. And like people were pushing these things as if they were, you know, potential stores of value for years to come. Like it was just kind of kind of sketchy how that you look at it. I have to uh, 
also make a statement. This is outside of 92, but you're talking about classic. And I've got it somewhere in the crib in a screw down. And it was one of the most memorable cards I've ever pulled from a pack. I was opening up classic basketball uh, college. And I literally remember opening up this pack and I noticed like this card looked different. It was turned around. I turned around. It is a Jason Kidd autograph in his Cal jersey. And it was like, I think it was like out of 250. And I literally still have the card somewhere, which I need, if I, I need to find it after this and post it. But that was like one of the uh, biggest pulls of my life or most memorable ones at the time, but classic brand. Dude, he was, he was super collectible, hand signed, probably hand numbered too, right? Yes, like, yes. Yeah, man. I mean, and what's crazy is, bro, there's some of those that were like numbered to 2,500. Could you imagine the guy just numbering <laughs> like I like this? I brought like a tops Nolan Ryan. This one's numbered to twenty five hundred. Like he hand signed twenty five hundred of these guys. <laughs> oh, okay. So let's move in. So we're talking. So when I was uh, trying to figure out what direction, what parallels I wanted to talk about, I got some feedback and people were like, dude, you you have to talk about ninety two tops gold. And so I started like digging in. I was like, yeah, I definitely, this needs to come up. And I remember you posting some cards from that were of the, this parallel on your page. And I was like, Joey, would be a good person to talk to about this. So maybe we start here, like parallels, tops gold. Like, what do you think? Obviously there's a ton of nostalgia there. We just talked about a bunch, but like, what do you think this mean, this set means for being like the first parallel set and like the legacy around it? Yeah, I mean, it, it created, it had a lot more opportunity um, than than it, it does. It screwed itself a little bit, um, but in a sense to where, because they printed so much of it. But early on, you have to start at 92 tops baseball, okay? mm. because that's before basketball. And it's before they printed a lot of it, right? They printed they printed ninety two, but they didn't do it till later. So early on, when ba- when baseball ninety two tops first came out, right? You have they were inserted in the packs, one out of ten packs. There was eight hundred cards in the set, eight hundred, right? So, you know, if you're buying this stuff by the pack, I, it's funny. When I read your list, you said talk about like set build, set build. At that point, no way, right? Like like you we, initially, you wouldn't even think about building a set. Um, now later on, you could have bought the whole set, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, but as far as the creativity for tops, I think it was incredible because it's a parallel. So meaning it's, you know, obviously it's, it's the same card. It just has some color on it and it happened to be gold. Right. And it was foil and it was shiny and it was all these things that everybody kind of likes now. Right. Um, and the back of the card was branded in gold. So that kind of differentiated it from a base card. And, you know, I don't know if it's the very first parallel um, that we've ever seen, but it's definitely one that's very memorable. And, you know, they went a lot of different ways with it, right? Um, You could get them out of a pack. You can get them in complete sets. Or you can, like, buy the entire set. Right. So they used to give you like you, you would buy you could buy like a set or something at like Walmart or something. And there was like 10 of them. And then they started to just sell the whole set. But early on, that that wasn't the case. So it, it, it almost like they splattered out all the different ways to make a gold parallel 
and they didn't know that, hey, just keeping them in packs is going to make them the most desirable. Mm. So during that time, it seems like, and obviously didn't realize this, I was young, but it seemed like looking back on it now, there we talked about some of these brands like, you know, uh, Flare Ultra Stadium Club. Um, you can go back to like Upper Deck with like the hologram on the back. Um, mm-hmm. seems like there was like technology was being changing the way cards looked and fe- felt. And obviously like the introduction of like the gold parallel into a standard top set was a big deal. Like what, what do you think it was about? Like, do you think it was like, obviously like serial numbering got more sophisticated down the road and scarcity and all this stuff. But like, what do you think it was about like that era in 92 where there was changes in technology now, gold parallels that were introduced like was it just like as the hobby turns we're gonna introduce new stuff like what do you think it was about 92 that all that all this new stuff came in yeah so if we go back to your jason kid autograph that was like a year or two before right so that card really didn't have that much authenticity to it other than the fact that it probably said something on the back that it was this autographed card and it was hand signed on the front and hand numbered. Right. Um, but other than that, you know, there was nothing sophisticated about the production of that card. It was just a picture of a basketball player and it had some specific print on the front and back. Right. There was no, there was nothing else. So, so I think in 92, you started to see a little more sophistication with, okay, somebody can't just go buy tens of thousands of dollars or whatever in printing material and just go make a 1992 tops card. It's just not possible. They use a specific card stock. They use a specific foil. It just wasn't feasible for somebody to do that. And that's when I think that really, you know, started to hit the other brands because the reality is upper deck really, really came up to the plate before everybody else in 89. And then I don't, I think you didn't really see a response until mm-hmm. 1992. Right. And that, and that's, that's the case with FLIR as well. A FLIR, a 91 FLIR card, a 90 FLIR card, there were literal junk wax. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. 92 tops, they stopped using wax. It's the first year they didn't use wax to make to wrap, to wrap the pack. It was selfing, right? So it's a big step. It wasn't, they didn't, like I said, they didn't check all the boxes that they would check years later, but it's where they literally said, okay, we're losing market share to upper deck. We need to change things. Sure, we could still be the cheaper guy, but we need to make these more, you know, desirable. And it was good. And I think it was good for the whole hobby because it elevated everybody from there. From there is where you then have the serial number stuff coming out, then the super glossy stuff, then the embossed autographs, and obviously serial number. And you kind of go from there. I'm going to say this again because we talked about it with Shaq and I mentioned like now today, like, it's so easy to poke 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 fun at all the prospecting and misses that go on because there's way more of those than there are hits. Sure. But you mentioned 89 upper deck and the technology advancements there. You marry that with Ken Griffey Jr. and that card and how desirable it was. And it just pushed upper deck in a whole nother stratosphere in a position. So it was like almost like perfect timing. And then you go back to 92 and we're talking about a gold parallel and we're talking about a guy like Shaq, like in your mind, how important is it for 
a card's longevity and long-term success. And I know like the, 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 what the examples I just referenced were more or less junk wax era, but like how that popularity and just like grabbing a hold of people, how important do you think that is to marry like the, the tran the transcendent type prospect or rookie with the new type of card or technology? Like maybe talk just a little bit about those two worlds colliding. Well, I mean, it, it, it tells you a couple of things, right? Uh, first of all, that it tells you that when something's popular, it's always popular, right? Now, it may not be popular at the same levels, right? Or valuable or whatever you want to say, but it'll always carry that forward, right? The Ken Griffey Jr. card is a perfect example. Um, even if he sucked, that card would still be desirable today. Obviously not as desirable, right? Or even if he, you know, had a short career or whatever, it's just... The, the story behind it, just like, you know, if Luca sucks one day and, you know, doesn't win a championship, and he doesn't do what everybody thinks he's going to do. His cards are still going to be valuable. They're still going to be desirable. People are still going to collect them because they're going to say, man, remember when I had that blah, 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 and it was worth 10 grand and only worth 200 bucks, still worth 200 bucks. Whereas, you know, a turd guy could be worth two bucks. So so, you know, so that that's the thing is like, and that and that goes with everything across the hobby that if it's valuable at one point, it will always be valuable. It's mm. just it'll always be desirable. The value, the valuable is is a little more subjective than we consider valuable, but it'll always be desirable. Somebody will always want to buy it. Like look at you with Andrew Luck, right? He has value. Obviously, you're you're finding collectors all over the place that that have these great Andrew Luck treasures that they love and they don't want to sell them to you, right? Some of them do, some of them don't. But like, how, how many are you still looking for? So, a lot. Of course, right? So so that'll always be the case. Now, if Andrew Luck had three Super Bowl rings, right, they would just be worth more money. They would still be desirable. I actually just saw a, a post from MK Sports Cards on his uh, Instagram and he was, he like listed out, and this is like a perfect example. He like listed out like, the highest selling penny hardway cards or cards over a certain threshold. And he compared it to John Moran. And it was like, basically like this is collecting versus like, this is gambling. And it is so true. And it's like, when I think about, I think about penny hardway and I think about Andrew Luck and then there's a lot of similarities in my mind where it's like, there's a time and a place where people like really feel something nostalgic for penny and want to collect his cards. And I just think that's a good lesson based on just some of the things that you called out and just like, stuff stuff will hold its its value and it's probably better to like now if you're collecting and you feel something towards those players like buy buy them because chances are there's other people who feel the same way they just might not have made the move yet absolutely absolutely and 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 like that's the thing and that's the beauty of collecting right we all have our different levels of it and what we're looking for and what we like but like there is one thing for sure and you can go back all the way to the beginning of collecting, if at one point, right, a card was, you know, desirable, right, it still has a market. Like I said, it may be not much of a market, but it still has, one. you know, and, and that's kind of like always been my mentality is like, especially when I, when I first got back into it, I wanted to go and, and find all the things that, you know, were the one, the cards that everybody wanted at some point. Yeah, I want to talk, and I want to talk about that, but before we do, just to make sure people understand this. And I think this is like maybe a little education for me and you touched on it. 
when it was all said and done, was it was it one per pack? Is that how you got them, or was were there there were sets too? Like maybe t- go back to that and make sure we're okay. straight on it. So in the beginning, they had it right. They should have just left it. It was <laughs> one in ten packs. That's mm. it. That's it. Right. And and if they would have just left it that way, eight hundred card set, one in ten packs, mm. dude, those things would be pretty rare right now. Right. They, they would be they would be just rare enough to where you can go buy them and you can have them, but they wouldn't be that easy to find in gem mint grades, right? Uh, they would all be all the gem mint grades would be pretty low pop, right? And and there would be all sorts of levels of collectors of them because you could buy a five, you could draw one, you could buy a ten, right? They'd be all over the map. So so here's where they screwed it up. In basketball, they were every pack. You got like one a pack, and then they would have. Jumbo or rack packs where you got like three and then these other, you know, different types of ways to get more than one in a freaking pack, right? Now, the winner, uh, which I'm actually surprised you knew about that. <laughs> okay. This is great. So do you know how you got the top school winners? Let's find out. How, how okay. do we get it? All right, dude. So you would get in the pack. It was like a scratch off lottery ticket. Okay. And there were, I want to say, 12 places to scratch. I could be wrong. And you had to scratch three of them, and they Mm. would have to be like the baseball or something like that. And then the other nine were like an X. So here, this, this, this gets really good. So if you got the three baseballs, you mailed it in, and they would mail you a pack of Topps Gold Winner. And it was the Topps Gold. There was like five or 10 cards in there, but they said Winner instead of nothing. Right. So the early ones, the card stock and anybody that collected this shit is going to like be like, how I can't believe he brought this up. Right. The early ones, the card stock was not as good. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Do you know the difference between tops and OPT? Right. The, yeah. the tops is like a gray card stock. Well, these lottery tickets were this gray card stock. Me and my brother would stick a flashlight in the back and you could see through and you knew which ones to scratch. Right. So you could buy 10 packs, you'd scratch all of them under a flashlight and you'd get 10 packs of top gold. Right. Now they caught on to it probably halfway through the year and the and the, the lottery ticket was now white, like an OPG card, right? And the flashlight didn't work. So you had to legitimately try to scratch them up. So like if you ever like interview somebody that worked at Tops in the 90s, you absolutely have to bring that. So, so when you got the winner, when you, when you would, they would be sent, the winner packs would be sent to you and what would be the content of the winner packs? Like, what would it look like? So, so they were the tops gold cards, but on the card, like, like on the, and this one is like hilarious. They would say winner, right? So yeah. So like, this is the card, right? And it would just say winner right up there. in Okay. Right. And that was the only difference, but value wise, you know, I don't want to say nobody wanted them, but it was not as good as the pack, right? Because they were so, easy to get. Okay. So that was my next question is yeah. um, the desirability today. Is it all like the desirability and collectability around these cards? Is it, is it all around like the technical grade and trying to get a gem, try to gem these things based on the volume? Yeah. Cause there's so many of them. You really don't want a winner and you want a gem. Man. But like, again, like, dude, they're not, I think the, I want to say for 92, the Nolan Ryan is probably the most expensive. Um, Ken Griffith Jr. is 
is up there, but it's a couple hundred bucks for a gem. But the Nolan Ryan is, is probably the most expensive because part of it is because he is the guy in all these sets. Have. A lot of people don't even realize that. He definitely was back in the day. Like he was. Is he card number one too? Do I have that right? I think he is. I think he is. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but, but like the card that I was just holding up, you're probably like, who the hell is that? So this was the number one card to get. This was the Luca. This was the yeah, Shaq. What's, it, what's his okay. name? I can't see it. The Bri- Brian Taylor. And okay. Brian was spelled B-R-I-E-N, right? So quick story with this dude. This card right here, this exact one, I've had this since 1992, okay? I used to, I've always collected watches, right? And I traded my shark watch for this card in when I was in whatever, 10, 11, 11 years old, right? Um, because this kid that I went to school with got out of a pack and he was carrying it around in this freaking brick. Right? <laughs> oh, man. Tell right? everyone what you're holding up. This is a, an earthquake case from 1992. <laughs> and it's yellow. It looks, it's like, yellow. Looks, like, looks like I've soaked it in urine, right? So, <laughs> so, so like, it, he would carry it around this thing and basically, like, be like, oh, you know, whatever. And one day, dude, I got him to trade it for me for my shark watch. You know what a shark watch is, right? It's like, yeah. digital surf watches right and i'm sure i threw a bunch of other shit into the deal because i wanted the card so bad and i've had it all that time dude and what? of course the guy like was a crackhead and he beat the shit out of somebody at a party and his he destroyed his arm he's a pitcher okay i was gonna ask what the, uh what happened to him and you just you yeah. just gave me like the the behind the baseball player there of like why this yeah. guy didn't pan out Oh, yeah. But like, yeah, if you like read about him, I mean, dude, he was like the guy. So you'd go to the card shows. That was the rookie. They'd, he'd have all these BS cards, just like Shaq. He was the Shaq of baseball that year. Now, obviously, he didn't have the following like Shaq did. And Shaq turned out to be Shaq. But Brian Taylor, I, I don't remember his career, but it wasn't very long or it wasn't very right. But he was the phenom. And dude, this card at one point probably was worth 70 bucks, 80 bucks. That's and it sounds like stupid now, but when you're, and again, it, this sounds stupid too, because these kids have thousands of dollars in cards, but when you're 11 years old and you have a $70 baseball card, right? That was a pretty big deal. You know, Jose Canseco rookie was like a hundred bucks. So, and that was, that was the card, right? So, so yeah, man, I mean that, that thing, like anybody that's ever knows anything about this is really going to laugh, but unfortunately it's probably not going to be a lot of people. <laughs> so, so. I find this this topic on this might be fascinating. I feel like this is right in your wheelhouse being the e-trader. Talking about a world where like eBay didn't exist when these cards came out and like this Brian Taylor card, like your your kid on the playground had it and you sing it for the first time. And, you know, in your mind, you're like, this is the guy. This is probably rare and scarce. This might be the first time that I ever, you know, saw this card. I might not ever see it again. Because you don't truly understand like how many of these cards exist because you can't go to eBay to like type it in and see that literally hundreds of people have this card listed. I don't know. Like talk about just the fact that this parallel exists. It might look a little different at the time. We might thought there was very, very few of those. But in all actuality, you know, it is the junk wax era and we don't have a place like eBay to, to truly understand how stuff is going on. And like this too, I think is the reason why like the, you know, the 
89 uh, Upper Deck Griffey got, you know, printed to the moon because, you know, people couldn't really figure out how many there truly were because the infrastructure wasn't in place. Maybe just share some thoughts on that. I will say that I would love to have been a fly on the wall or even an employee at the company when these meetings were taking place. Like, did a bunch of guys sit in a room and say, let's create artificial scarcity and let's just let's do this and let's sell a shitload of these hoping nobody's ever going to (laughs) realize They're, they're never going to have an electronic means to communicate on how many of these things actually exist. Whose idea was that? I mean, I mean, good for them, but it was just like, is, was that the key motive of a couple of guys or a couple of, you know, upper management guys mm. to, to increase the bottom line? And if it was, you know, what was their end game, right? Like, what, what would you think, what did you think was going to happen, right? Uh, where it would just go on forever or not? Because it's exactly what they did. It was literally created artificial scarcity with, you know, and manipulated it because they didn't have, we didn't have the technology to prove it. And that's really what it was, dude. You'd, you'd literally go to these shows as a kid and you thought things were rare and they kind of were because it's the only one in that mall, but there's how many malls in the United States, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Dude, it's, it's, I know we don't do this often collecting cards now and you know, we are educated. There's the serial numbering, there's pop reports. And if you're in it long enough, you know, like what to buy and what not to buy in order to like have stored value. But like, sometimes we just got to take a step back and the people that were organizing this manufactured scarcity and running these gimmicks and in doing all this, we're trying to take advantage of the collectors and then the collectors would go to shows and then they try to put one on someone else, but they weren't were like doing it on purpose. It was just kind of the, how the industry was working. Just want to like spotlight that because this is always going to be a thing. And there's people right now that are trying to take advantage and do the same thing. So it's just like build some awareness that like, there's always going to be someone doing it. You just got to like, we just got to open our eyes and look and you're not going to know until you're like really in it and you're paying attention to oh. cards and not taking advice from somebody else. It's and and it's going on right now. Like I just bought a box of the, was it Bowman Chrome, right? And, and this goes back to my discussion of, Hey, you should always, if you're going to, if you're going to put money into this hobby and you maybe not, you don't need to, for it to grow in value, but at least retain value. Mm. You want to buy stuff that was always valuable. And I can use Bowman, new the new Bowman Chrome. I buy a box, you open it up. Dude, there are so many different colors and parallels and variants and call it cards numbered to 200 and 350. Like it's it's just being recreated again now, right? Mm. And do I zoom out and say, wow, am I just this this much more experienced now? And I can see this immediately. And and there's all these people that can't see it. I don't know, maybe somewhat. But to me, if there was something new that I wanted, I would buy it in a parallel that's existed since the beginning of time. Right? In baseball, in my opinion, you buy blue refractors, red refractors, gold refractors, base refractors. Right? All that other stuff is fine, but you always have to remember: Hey, if a new collector comes in ten years from now, and let's say. You know, I don't even know any of their names. New guy A today is is really good, right? They're 
and a new and a new collector ten years from now wants to go back to two, 2023 to buy his cards, right? They're going to try and they're going to start doing research on the original refractor. They're going to go from there and they're going to say, okay, what were the ones that were most notable? Which were the ones that were most valuable? Which blah blah blah. And that's what they're going to look for. They're not going to look for a zebra, you know, zebra refractor with a gold bow on. Like it's just, it's just, it's just not not. It's too hard to find. I, somebody told me. Somebody told me uh, uh, one time we were talking about some cards, and he said, "If you have to explain the card in more than like a couple of words, you know, just buyer beware, right? Like, like you should be able to show it to somebody and say, boom, and they can read it and say, oh, I know what that is, right? Um, within reason. If you have to really like give a story with it, you better really like it." We are, I think, certainly in a junk parallel era, especially when we've got uh, multiple superfractors being printed and yeah. we're doing already doing buybacks. But isn't that just like, I don't know, I'm thinking about this in the context of this conversation and we're talking 92 and we're talking one gold parallel. And you, if you hit fast forward and you go to this Bowman Chrome example, like how many... I mean, I just think about prism and like how many different variations of prism there are and how many different parallels are in prism. And I don't know, like this, the, I think about new people entering the hobby and the content that they get fed. And then the people going ape shit over a parallel that's printed at two ninety nine of some like third year, third year player in their people are acting like they're celebrating, throw a fucking parade for this, uh, you know, orange disco mumbo jumbo right. out of 299 being printed in like that's what's being communicated to like my seven-year-old self back in you know 92 and i don't know like people say like like that's let's grow the hobby it's like that that's not the way you're gonna grow the hobby and have people stay uh here for the long while yeah that's just a good way to sell packs and 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 that's what they're doing i mean dude that it, it's they're selling a lot of this stuff, I believe. I mean, you see it, you're starting to see it everywhere again. And, you know, I, I'm sure and I would hope that in, on these, you know, management teams who make these decisions, there are collectors in there. And, you know, that's kind of why I'm so like hard, hard on PSA is because, you know, we know that, dude, that in the end, those decisions are, are, are being reviewed by a hardcore collector. Right. And. You know, I hopefully we continue to see that across any of these brands, whether it's a grading company or a card manufacturer or anything is like, you know, it's, it, it's good to see it. Man. And, and, you know, I get that they I also understand the business aspect to where if they did X last year, they have to do more mm -hmm. the, the next year. Right. Um, whether it's selling more or having a bigger bottom line or whatever their goals are, it's got to be more because they, they expect to grow. And I understand that. So it's a fine line because they can't say, well, well, we can't just please the collector because if we did that, we'd be out of business, right? So it's, it's a delicate dance and it's tough because I know that a lot of people don't understand the side, you know, and uh, they just say, well, hey, I, I want to get X. So, so from, from a, I guess, uh, kind of continuing on this, from, I don't know what, I mean, people who listen to the show uh, I would say, you know, it is a high clip of, you know, collectors just like us. And my mindset has, has always been like when there's stuff coming around at the top and they're 
there's a bunch of stuff that maybe it doesn't new products coming out and what's going on make you make doesn't make you sit right or doesn't it makes you feel funny and you might be like a little uh have some trepidation on what's happening like always take a step back and just like look back because there's so many other things you can collect and so many other things you can satisfy your time with but like i don't know you just bought like a box like i'm sure you, that's like a tradition of yours or something you do regularly but I don't know. What, what would, what do you say to collectors like that are, you know, maybe collect a new player that's active and there's all these changes happening in the industry with cards and there's a lot of uncertainty. Like, what do you say to that person? I mean, honestly, if you know what you want, if, if a new product comes out and you know what you want and you're like, Hey, you know, rookie X is in here. He's went to my college and he lives in my hometown. And this is the guy I like, and I like watching him when he has been, whatever. Good. Whip out your phone, set up eBay notifications and buy the card because trying to get them out of packs is really getting to a point where it's just, you know, because it's like a combination of things. If you scroll Instagram, you see these guys getting all these great hits, right? But what you don't see is that they opened you know, 50 boxes, 50, 30, 20, not one, right? So then when you go buy your one, two, or three, which is, again, you know, two grand, a thousand dollars, three boxes, $1,100. And like you open it and there's nothing. Now, mm-hmm. granted, yeah, it's cool to put the stuff away and, 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 you know, hope maybe there's a one day, right? That's that part of it's kind of cool, but thousand dollars cool. I'd rather just take a thousand dollars. I really would. I mean, it's just, the hunt is just not, it gets deteriorating when, you know, it gets expensive. And then, and that's not even, you know, that's cheap compared to everything else. That's cheap. $300 a box is cheap, right? Nothing. Totally. What back to the, the 92 tops gold stuff, the fact that like the four major sports were represented. Um, and then there was that time, like today, if you like, you could go down and you could like collect in whatever sport gold parallels of like those players that were near and dear to your heart. Like I've noticed people, other collectors post these cards, PSA tens on their story and stuff. And I like see them post it. I'm like, man, that, that like hits me in the field spot a little bit. Talk that's, and that's something that same product parallel across all four sports. That's something that used to be normal and maybe will become normal again with this whole change in the landscape. But Maybe talk a little bit about the importance of that with this this parallel. Yeah, man. I mean, even they even had tops hockey, right? And uh, so so yeah, and 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 that was normal. Tops had everything. Was, and I've always liked tops. Always collected tops. I feel like they made a really good product. They printed a lot of it, but they always kind of had, you know, a legitimate product. Always been licensed. It's always been, you know, it's always been there. So. So, yeah, but they, yeah, those days are over for now. Hopefully we see them again within reason. Right. But yeah, man, I, I thought that was cool. I mean, even the, even the football, the 92 tops football, like the Brett Favre, that was the card, the gold Brett Favre. I don't know if it was his rookie. I think it was his second year, but like it was his tops. Rookie. I think he had a, I think he had a stadium club card that he wasn't in a, in a pro uniform or something. Maybe he was in like warm up gear. And the tops one was like his first NFL, you know, jersey, whatever. It created a lot of notable cards. Uh, Wayne Gretzky had a really nice 92 tops gold 
cops, uh, you know, Kane's uniform was a really like that was a notable card at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I remember them. I don't know if everybody else does, but but I, I definitely remember them. And 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 you know, I I wish the tops continued to make all the sports. And even if they went into you know UFC and all that other stuff, well, whatever, you know, just have two comp. I think you should have two or three companies. Making all of them, right? Um, if 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 the market supports it, I totally agree. Maybe like we close it out with like your when you think about these cards, like what are the what are the ones that stand out in your mind, and maybe like what's what's in the collection, like and what why do you why do you feel like you need these cards in your collection? It's funny. So I actually I pulled some out like because because we were thinking about this and I kind of wanted to like refresh my memory on and because I haven't looked at these, bro. These are like so deep in my PC. Like literally, man, I've had this one for how many years is that? Three, right, dude? That's crazy. Um, and then some of them I bought on eBay, you know, as as time goes on. But I would say let's say let's just call it like my favorite one out of these. Yeah. Okay. So this is probably it. So. Uh, it's the 92 Tops Gold Gretzky, right? Mm. In a PSA 10. And I will tell you why this is my favorite. Because it's a pop two. No way. Yes. So what's that I card? Am- what's that card worth? Or well, what would it be? Okay. So realistically, so when I bought this, talk about a chubby bid, right? Dude, I don't, I mean, don't quote me on this, but <laughs> I'm sure you can probably go buy this card raw for like 10 bucks, right? Five bucks. I think I bought this four or five years ago, three years ago, I knew that it was like really rare. I think I paid $300 in a bid. It was an auction, right? Which is, you know. Pop two? It's pop two. Dude, I, I mean, let me let me check right now. But And dude, this, old, this label is really old. So maybe it's not a pop two anymore. I mean, with Gretzky and the fact that like, you know, the legacy with this parallel, even though there's a lot of copies in a PSA 10, his collector base is strong. I, I would imagine if someone's a Gretzky collector listening to this, they they want this card right now. Yeah, right now it's a, it's a pop five. It's a pop five. That's still still which, which still it's still pretty rare. Yeah. What? How many are in the pop report? Uh, let's see. Looks like thirty seven. Thirty seven. So so yeah. So I mean, I guess you could probably go buy a bunch from on eBay and send them in and see what happens. But yeah, that's uh this one, dude. I remember. Okay, so listen to this. Look at this. One sold in September of 2022, right? $1,100. Yep. So there you go. I guess I'm not that crazy. But yeah, so you could buy like like a regular graded one, you know, for a, a PSA 8, it's like 75 bucks. Okay. But yeah, because dude, I remember I was like, I had it on my push forever. And, you know, it was it just wasn't coming up. And one finally came up and I was like, all right, well, I got to be, and like I said, I think I probably paid, I don't know, maybe 300 bucks for it. And, and that, that was, that was a while ago. And that was stupid. Like that was literally, you could go buy a raw one for five bucks. Uh, but I knew that the centering was a pain in the ass. Uh, the overall cards pain in the ass. It's the, it's the first one in the set, right? It's number one. So, you know, I just kind of had to go after it and here we, there, there we go. Got it right there. So but yeah, that's 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 my favorite one. I like the baseball stuff because it has more nostalgia to it, but it's a lot easier to find. Like you can go and get Ken Griffey Jr. PSA 10 on eBay probably anytime for maybe a hundred bucks. Frank Thomas, uh Barry Bonds, you know, that's a they're really cool looking cards. 
Um, but they're cheap, like like mm. because there's tons of them that were surfaced and graded and all that other stuff. So. Maybe to close this out, what is one thing about this set that you think people should know about? And it can be, you know, about the sp- set specifically. It can be about what it's done to maybe pave the way for other parallels. Anything in closing that you want to leave people with? Yeah, I wish Tops would have just kept them in pack. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe That's put a may, n- number them do maybe a hundred and something right or just 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 but but you know it sculpted the ideas of yes. the future right they literally it, it sculpted the idea of the um spark white sparkle pack right mm-hmm. um the gold parallel the you know everything you know it it, it gave them all, all those ideas um, and I guess it was more of like an experimental time because, hey, you know, they they wanted to at least compete with Upper Deck. So everybody go set up your 92 Tops Gold save searches and go bargain bin shopping and buy some old uh, players and feel the nostalgia. Joey, thank you for coming on and sharing some stories about the OG parallel. We will have to do it again. Thanks, brother. I appreciate having me. Always enjoy having those conversations with my good friend, Joey. I knew when I was doing this series, I had to hit on 1992 Tops Gold, and hopefully you enjoyed this conversation. Spend some time doing what we do, and that's enjoying the damn hobby. Happy collecting, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace.